0: Hello everyone, it's Creatively Anzi, Stories, Plays, Poems. I know it's been a little bit of a while since I've been here, I had some family things to sort out, but I am back. Again, I hope everyone has been safe, I hope everyone has been well. Um, This is the sixth episode, I hope everyone enjoyed the last one, Poems, which was about love. As it's sickle cell September, I thought I would read out an extract from something that I'm working on, called A Thousand Natural Shocks. So this is a YA about Amelia, who was battling depression and she struggles to deal with living with sickle cell. You guys could read the first chapter to raise awareness for sickle cell and to really understand what it's about as well. I will be putting links in the chat to the blood fund that we're raising money for. Meddling Gamers, we will be doing a 24 hour stream on Saturday, the 19th of September it's gonna be crazy it's gonna be fun and then we're gonna be doing another stream on the on friday the 25th of september which would be a community different communities getting involved to raise awareness again this is for the blood fund so please 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 let's raise awareness let's donate so this is the first chapter i hope you enjoy chapter one crisis amelia held perfectly still as the teacher's voice washed over her accompanied by the persistent sound of tapping on keyboards and scratches of pens. If she didn't move, then maybe no one would notice her. Like Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy said, be so still that one became invisible. As if no one would notice a 5 foot ten, ten stones girl. With dark brown kinky twists and a black polo neck dress, sitting hunched and immobilised in the middle of the class. But somehow, it usually worked for her. It's why she sat in the middle, not at the back with the miscreants, or at the front with the do-gooders. She'd gone largely unnoticed here, and maybe she kept holding still. A shockwave of pain travelled through her spinal column, instantaneously watering her eyes. She bent her head down immediately, and her head began to pound with a dangerous, brain-squeezing rhythm. Her hands started shaking, vibrating really. She let go of the pen, still held tightly between her rapidly swelling fingers, and told herself to breathe another shockwave of pain flaring out across her chest, shooting down her arms, pulsing red hot at her elbows before dispersing into her swollen fingers, and she held the breath she'd taken in. She began to feel lightheaded, agony or oxygen, one she feared, the other she needed. She took a shallow breath in, and a sound escaped her lips as the pain tore through her body. She felt someone's gaze on her, and even though she was going through a full-blown crisis, as in she might die at any given second, Her body's emotional response was embarrassment. If ever there was evidence for her being British, there it was. They looked away and she was momentarily blinded as what felt like liquid fire on her back soared to a crescendo and was held at that high note for a long moment. Droplets of water began to splash onto the table. She squeezed her eyes shut and stopped breathing. She waited for the pain to settle, so maybe she could move. Lay her head down on the table, pretend to sleep anything so she could suffer in silence, like those Victorian women did when they quietly excused themselves to faint because their corsets were too tight. The pain wouldn't settle and her eyes wouldn't stop leaking, but she had to breathe. She took a quick breath in, crackles of fire in her lungs, and would have screamed if she had any air to spare, but somehow an utterance, a sort of pathetic keening noise she sometimes made when she was having a crisis slip past her control. If ever there was a time to feel embarrassed, it was when she made that pity sound like those wounded animals whose necks had been torn open by some lion but still they refused to die she nearly slammed her head on the table as she saw a few people glance her way walking to sixth form this morning seemed like a distant dream another life a different person not this thing she'd been reduced to a quick glance at the time 15 minutes and the lesson would be over she could wait for everyone to leave an insidious whisper promised her immediate release if she would just give up how could anyone survive this amount of pain no one that's who having sickle cell was like signing up for a lifetime of torture and most had the good sense to tap out when they were children the children who come and go that's what her aunt in ghana said they called people like her the children who came felt the pain and thought nope i'm good back to the creator i go but not amelia she'd survived and even though she had beaten death it didn't feel like a victory it was quiet at first and that she almost didn't notice it then the noise grew louder So many whispers, too many voices, and the looks, she could feel it all over her body. Amelia? Her new history teacher's stern voice hovering over her. No sleeping in class. Amelia didn't even react, because despite the internal war she was waging, at least on the outside, she'd appear normal, as though she was tired and was resting her head on the table. The label of a lazy student, which she'd constantly had attached to her, appealed far more than a disabled student. If you're not feeling well, then please go to the office, Miss Wang said. So much for Drax's plan, Amelia thought, as she tried to turn her face, but she couldn't. Her body was stiff, and the pain demanded her unyielding attention and absolute focus. If she let go of the reins, then she would die, and her family, her friends. Damien would never forgive her if she did. Her name was called again. Look, I don't have time for theatrics. Bola has already gone down with a headache. You can join her, Miss Wang said, exasperated. It's almost break time anyway. You can go home then. Amelia tried to respond, to at least turn her head, but the pain, it was her whole world. Her arm was grabbed, and an internal scream almost split her world in two. I think she might actually be unwell, miss, someone close to her ear said. Yeah, someone call Ambios. Cancel the lesson. I'm not cancelling the lesson. Back in your seat, Bilal. Amelia, say something, Miss Wang said sternly, her voice too loud. Is it cramps? The class broke out into hysterics. "'Nothing to be ashamed of. It's natural,' Miss Wang said, addressing the class. "'Come on now. You're wasting everyone's time. What is it?' On any other day, she might have been embarrassed, or even annoyed, called the female teacher out for suggesting cramps, because really? Cramps? But of course, she was her, and all Amelia could do was slowly convince her eyes to open. Most people were out of their seats just watching her, some with a cautious kind of concern, others with amusement. Amelia opened her mouth and closed again, as the pain surged to critical mass for a moment, stealing her breath, claiming her mind and focusing her attention on just that sensation. She tried to shift in her seat, but that was a mistake. Her feet were so swollen that the ankle boots she had them in would likely have to be cut off. It's why she stopped wearing jewellery. I can't help you if you don't tell me what's wrong, Miss Wang said. A few moments later, genuine concern colouring her voice as she came closer. I have sickle cell anemia, Amelia croaked. Blank faces everywhere, as though she'd just spoken in Swahili. What is that? Is that contagious? Who's taking biology? Rah, someone Google it then. So many questions swirling in the air. She was running out of time. Damien, Amelia said softly, get Damien. More questions followed her pronouncement. The pain was getting obnoxious. A neon bright pulsating light. A screaming toddler in a cinema. All thoughts seized as it somehow managed to get worse. So strong that the temptation to give in almost overcame her. She almost let herself go. She couldn't do this anymore. She didn't want to. Almost 18 years of a life she was never supposed to have was more than enough. She was done, because this couldn't be her future. It just couldn't. Amy, look at me, Damien said. Amelia opened her eyes slowly. The room had emptied of everyone except Miss Wang and Miss Santansio, the first aider. We've called the ambulance. They're on their way. You can do this, Damien said, linking his fingers with hers. Amelia nodded and held on, drawing strength from his gaze. She was carted out on a stretcher in front of what seemed like the whole school. The ride and the ambulance almost unbearable as Damien recounted a laundry list of all the things she suffered from. Then she was back in the hospital, her second home, and a calmness settled over her because she never wanted to leave. Amelia was in and out of consciousness but she could still hear them talking. Ava's soft voice reassuring their parents that everything was fine, that it was just a standard crisis, she hadn't had a relapse, that they didn't need to come back from their holiday celebrating 30 years of marriage because once again Amelia had ruined everyone's plans by being in hospital don't worry Ava stressed her voice low gently coaxing well this is exactly why I went to a uni in London isn't it I can stay home until you to get back when your holiday is finished don't worry about Ando he'll be fine and he told me to tell you that he can look after himself anyway Ava put the phone down soon afterwards, and sighed deep enough to make Amelia feel guilty. Her sister had never told her she'd picked a uni in London because of her, or because of this stupid disease, ruining all their lives, taking over. I think Amelia is... I think she's had a relapse, Damien admitted quietly. And though Amelia's eyes were already closed, and her body was unmoving, she felt herself pause. She hadn't even heard him come into the room. Then again, he'd probably never left. Ava sighed. I know. What? You have to tell me! I know you want to save her, but what you have to remember is that she was suicidal because of her disease, her lifelong incurable disease, which will cause her daily pain until one day that disease does finally claim her life. Ava said, the defeat in her voice making Amelia's eyes burn with unshed tears. Logically, I don't. Ex- logically, I understand. I don't accept, but I understand her rationale. Emotionally, I can't bear the idea of losing her, and I'm not go- I'm never going to give up, ever. A slight hesitation. Even if she stopped being suicidal, she might still be depressed. I know, but I won't give up on her either. And Ava, if she has a good argument for dying, then I'm going to make an even better one for living, Damien promised. I have an idea. I don't know if she'll like it, but their voices faded away as the medication, Amelia, Amelia was on, pulled her under again. Chapter 2, The Diary Entries Sickle cell anemia is an inherited blood disorder. Abnormal hemoglobin caused the red blood cell to become sickle-shaped. This mutation of the red blood cell causes a multitude of problems. Sickle cells are stiff and sticky. As a result, they block blood flow when they become trapped in the veins. They cause intense pain, high risk of infection, and often leads to organ damage and death. Amelia looked down at the words. Such a simple explanation for such a complicated disease. She hated the word disease. Disabled, unable, unworthy, solid. Okay, going down this happy line of thinking was not going to do her any good, especially given her present situation. She was at her second home, also known as St. Mary's Hospital Paddington, the one she was born in, and clearly her body liked this place so much that it found new and invented ways to keep returning because she was always sick, always stop, she told herself, because stress was sickle cell's number one fan, closely followed by the cold weather. She glanced at the diaries Ava had brought with a not so subtle note left on top to remind you just how far you've come. The idea that her sister had rifled through her diary when she was young had filled her with a sense of such violation, such rage at the time. Her diary, her secrets, the only place you could truly be free, had been almost unforgivable, had almost broken their sisterly bond. Ava had apologised profusely for days, been distraught with her decision for months afterwards, but her rationale had been something Amelia had just about understood. Ava had read her diary out of desperation caused by a very real fear, not because she'd been trying to violate Amelia's sense of space, her place of peace, but because she'd been afraid Amelia would follow through on her plans to kill herself after finding a suicide note that had fallen out of her diary. As always, never doing things by half measures, Ava had even put in post-it notes to the diary entry she wanted Amelia to focus on. She looked down at the nearly indecipherable squiggle that her younger self thought past as actual words when she was eight years old. Who gives titles to the diary entries anyway? Entry one, I don't know how to be a human being. I know how to be a human crying, a human lying, a human trying, human sighing, even a human dying. But a human being, well, I can't be. Creatively Anzi. Brighton, summer, July 21st, eight years, seven months, and six days. Today our teacher took us to Brighton. This was my first time in Brighton, and probably my last. The day started out well. I was enjoying myself, eating lots of candy floss, and chatting with my friends. The whole class was very happy. A few strangers were staring at me, and some even came up to me. They asked me why my eyes were yellow. I told them that I had sickle cell anemia, and that it was one of the symptoms. One of the boys asked if I could see in yellow. I told them I saw fine. Then, one of the boys whispered that it looked like someone had pissed in my eyes. They all started laughing and walked away. I guess I should be used to that by now. But still, I cried for a while in the toilets. No big deal, really. I went on like everything was fine. But I had to spoil it all by getting sick. I hate myself. Why did I have to be born a sickler? I hate that word, sickler. They all call me that. Sickler, the doctors, my parents, everyone. All I hear is sick, sick, sick. Entry two. To die, to sleep no more. And by sleep, we mean to end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. William Shakespeare, The Note. November 3rd, nine years, 10 months, 19 days. Sitting on the stairs, afraid to go down, but I don't want to miss what was being said. I doubt I would miss it anyway. I'm pretty sure half the neighbourhood tuned in to hear the argument going on downstairs. Dad thinks suicide is a coward's way out. Mum blames herself for giving birth to me. Ava is angry for at them both for missing the point. I hate when they argue about my disease. I don't mean to be sick. Really, I don't. I just wish I was normal, like, basically, I just sit there. I can't go down. I slowly may make my way back upstairs again. I mean, if I pretend I didn't hear it, I can pretend it's not happening. Entry 3. It hurts, but I never show. This pain you'll never know. If only you could see just how lonely and how cold. And frostbit I've become. My back's against the wall. Marshall Mathers. Arguments. November 10th. Nine years, nine months, and 26 days. No one is talking to me. Well, they are, but they give me glances. Only And understands, and that's because he is too. I hate my diary for telling them so much of what I think. I was going to stop writing, but then how else can I know how I feel? I've started hiding it. That way, even if Ava is scared, she can't read it ever again. I don't know if I can forgive her, but I had to because Ava's psychology teacher told her that reading someone's diary is the worst thing a person can do. Ava cried for almost a whole day. Mum had to pick her up from school. I told Ava, the worst thing someone can do is kill someone else. She kept crying, but then I forgave her. Mum said she hates psychologists, but then she turned around and told me that I should get professional help. Maybe I should, because... Well, I've started shaking. Well, it happens when I'm, like, just about to wake up. Ava says I've been doing it in my sleep. I sort of jerk involuntarily. So now I'm even more of a freak. And they don't understand why I think living is worse than death. Anyway, good night. I have a major headache. Mum says crying is good for you. But I don't think it's good for me. I'm losing too much water. And all the stress is making me shake more in the daylight. And get more aches in my body. Entry 4. Darkling, I listen, and for many a time I've been half in love with easeful death. Called him soft names in many amused rhyme. To take into the air my quiet breath. Now more than ever seems it rich to die. To seize upon the midnight with no pain. John Keat. Therapy. November 15th. Nine years, eleven months. 10am. I'm going to see a therapist today. Either that will be taken into hospital and placed on suicide watch. So says mum. I didn't believe her. 7pm. The therapist thinks I should see her twice a week. I've decided therapy isn't for me. Entry 5. Amelia reread the title for the next entry and for some reason she felt her eyes smarten. She blinked, a little taken aback. Crying wasn't something she indulged in, it was in fact a rare occurrence. At one point her little brother was convinced it wasn't something she was capable of. She smiled as she remembered Anders' surprise the first time he'd actually seen her cry over a theatre performance of all things. He watched, his fascination evident, and had almost brought out his phone before Ava had given him a look. her own eyes overflowing with tears over the emotional performance they'd just seen. She didn't have to read the entry. She remembered that day vividly. It was the first time she had spoken to Damien. No cure. December 1st. 10 years, 11 months, 15 days. If I die, I won't blame you. I promise, Amelia said earnestly. Femi flinched, and he, star- he stared at her for a long moment before walking over to her and kneeling, so they were eye level. Don't say that. Don't even think that. You can fight. I heard you talking to the nurse.' earlier, Amelia said, taking the oxygen mask off her face. And I just want you to know that I don't blame you. Just don't lie to me. Femi blinked a few times, swallowing the lump that was forming his throat. He told himself that crying in front of patients was wrong, especially children who looked at him with eyes aged beyond their ears. I'm gonna call your parents. I'm I'm gonna make sure they are here, he promised, taking her hand, and he saw her try and hide a wince as the monitor beeped. Femi let go immediately. You don't always have to be so strong. It's okay to tell me when it hurts, he said, Annoyed at himself for letting his voice break, angry at the world for wanting to even try and take this little girl's life, and powerless in his need to save her. It hurts all the time, so I have to be strong all the time, Emilia said, her voice modulated, her gaze unwavering. Felmy felt the moisture build in his eyes as he held her gaze. He carefully put the oxygen mask back on her face. It's okay, she said, reaching forward and patting him on the arm lightly, as if he needed reassuring, as if the action didn't cost her everything. He didn't even want to imagine the level of pain she would have endured to become that resilient. I'm going to call them, I'm I'm going to, he trailed off as she shrugged, as though it didn't matter. He hesitated a moment before walking out. Amelia stared at the -the glow-in-the-dark stars on the ceiling. It wasn't like the real night sky, but it was close, as close as she was ever going to get to the sky again. Her brow frowned she looked down at the foot of her bed, was a boy she'd seen around the hospital a few times. You really scared him, you know that, the stranger said. I didn't mean to, Amelia responded. Aren't you scared? The stranger asked quietly. Of? Of dying, everyone is. Why would I be scared of something I know is going to happen anyway? It is inevitable, Amelia said, taking the oxygen mask off her face. Just because it's going to happen doesn't mean it's not still scary. Like, getting an injection is going to hurt you knowing it is doesn't mean it makes it less hurt. He said maybe but they call death the final sleep and isn't sleep peaceful i wouldn't mind some peace i don't like sleeping he said petulantly and if you die you're, you're gonna miss stuff he paused and looked thoughtful wouldn't you miss your family maybe things you would like to do or eat like sweets and chocolate i will miss that stuff then why do you want to die i never said i wanted to die Amelia said breathlessly her chest was beginning to burn but she refused to stop talking. I just, you just think that death is easier than life. She didn't answer him and they lapsed into silence. What's wrong with you? The boy asked. I have sickle cell anemia. It's a disease that makes my birth. No, I mean, what's wrong with you that you want to die so badly? Amelia wished she could glare at him, but she settled for sighing. Not everyone can have a normal life coming in whenever you want with your brother, then getting to go home when, getting to go outside and play. It's not that simple for the rest of us in here. She said, trying and failing to sound angry, her voice coming out breathless. There was a slight pause before he said, how do you know he was my brother? Most people think that he's my dad. Too young to be your dad. He is a junior doctor. That's why he is panicking, thinking that he's killed me, when really I was dying anyway. It's why he's emotional, Amelia said. Emotional, the stranger said incredulously, coming up to her face. He is emotional because you're a kid and he is a human being. Also, I don't have a normal, he made air quotes with his fingers, life either. I have to come here because our parents are dead, and my brother is the only one who can laugh after me. The boy stopped as Amelia's machine started beeping. Her oxygen levels had dropped dangerously low. Sorry, they both said at the same time, as he helped her put the oxygen mask back on. I came in here to make you feel better instead. You're only killing me faster, Amelia said. How can you even joke? Because if I don't joke, if I don't laugh, I'll cry. If I cry, I'll never stop, Amelia admitted. So you are scared, he said softly. She shrugged. Yes, but being scared doesn't mean I'm not ready to die. You can't die, he insisted. There's, there's so much stuff that you haven't done yet that, that you need to live for. Like what? Ice cream, he said promptly. I can't eat ice cream. I can't have milk or most dairy products, she responded. Ice cream in Italy is sorbets. No milk. If you die, then you can't go to Italy and have milk-free ice creams. I guess. What do you like doing? What's your favourite thing to do, he said. He asked excitedly. Emila's smile was slow drawing. I like to draw and paint. Well, whilst you're eating milkfeet ice creams, you can go and see the paintings in the Sistine Chapel in Rome. My brother said it was my mum's favourite painting. Very inspirational. What else? Amelia asks, finding his enthusiasm amusing. The stranger's eyes lit up as he sat down, and for some strange reason, he linked his fingers with hers before... He began to list the different things she could do and see if only she would live. Damien, what are you doing in here? Don't you see that she's in pain with what? With where you were sitting? Femi asked walking into the room almost 20 minutes later and pulling his brother off her bed. The stranger, Damien, looked at her surprise. It was worth it, Amelia whispered. Your family is here, Femi said softly. You can do it, Amelia interrupted. You can save my life if you want to. It's, it, it's not that simple, Femi began hesitantly. Okay. Amelia acquiesced. Entry 7. The Temple. April 18th. 11 years, 4 months, 3 days. Today was my first visit to a Buddhist temple. I finally understand the draw of these places. It was a class trip with religious studies. We're visiting different religious buildings. The Buddhist temple is amazing. I don't think I can describe it. They make you feel welcome. I meditated today. A Buddhist monk taught us. I think that's what being at peace feels like. I wonder why anyone would ever leave this place. I didn't want to. Entry 8. Seeing is believing, but feeling is the truth. Thomas Fuller. Healing. July 3rd. 11 years, 7 months, and 18 days. I never knew life could be bearable. I don't think of dying at every moment of every day. I think of meditating. I think that God would be angry if I took my own life, when God has done so much to keep me alive. But then I think of life being easy if I wasn't in it. There is no cure. I meditate. I have long conversations about the value of life with Ava. I also talk to Damien. He's become my friend. He's going to start attending my school. I know I've said this before, but Damien is an orphan. I've never met an orphan before. But Damien said he doesn't see himself as an orphan because he can't remember his parents. Unlike Femi, who knew their parents before they died in a plane crash. Damien doesn't hate planes, even though I would be scared of them. He's very brave and he even offered to meditate with me. entry 9 for now everything just seems so right and how you make the darkness seem so bright feeling like everything's gonna be all right jermaine cole i hope may 5th 12 years 4 months and 20 days i pray to god to forgive me i meditate with damien Tis become our thing we do i want to be a better human being but i was born this way how can i change what i am i meditate and i pray ava has faith that one day i'll wish to stay on earth she thinks that since I don't talk about my own funeral, then I must be getting better. I think about dying and I become confused. I know the facts, the statistics. I felt it. Death and I are friends. I use the skills I learnt from meditating when I feel a crisis coming on. It helps me endure the mind-numbing pain. I go to this place I call the circle. Mind over muscle. If my mind is strong, then my body can be. I meditate. I pray. I hope. Chapter 3 apologies. Amelia understood why Ava had chosen those entries. It told a nice story. Depressed girl is sick, almost dies, but hooray, she gets better and as as a bonus is no longer depressed. The end. Amelia wished she could live aside the very last page, when she was hopeful, when she had found a way to beat her disease, when she had won. But But what was the victory in living if she had to live like this? She put down her diary and stared at the mortuary white walls with resignation. She wasn't alone in the bay that could house four patients. She'd never been to this ward. She had aged up from peds a few months ago and was transitioning to adult wards. Why they didn't have teenage wards had always confused her. Either you were a child or an adult. No real middle ground. So now she was surrounded by nurses she didn't know on a ward that didn't have a playroom. And okay, it'd been years since she'd stepped foot in a playroom. But all that was a stark reminder that this was how the rest of her life would be. A large snore derailed her spiralling and she glanced over at the middle-aged woman with pale skin and dark hair who was fast asleep in a chair opposite after complaining bitterly about her broken leg and how she hated hospitals. Amelia had listened to her rant, offering the appropriate amounts of nods and shrugs, throwing in a sigh for good measure until, of course, the woman had apologised after the nurse had come in and said Amelia was a regular and the woman should be lucky she wasn't in Amelia's position. So much for patient confidentiality. The aforementioned nurse suddenly pulled Amelia's curtain back. She beelined for a small cart that contained a blood pressure machine and all those helpful little tools to check if the patient wasn't dying, as if a flat line reading, no pulse, wasn't enough. The nurse was a woman of few words, except, of course, when she was spewing privileged information. Amelia sighed and stared at the ceiling as the nurse prodded and poked her. She hated feeling this way, numbed out, like a thing in a bed, barely qualifying as human. Q. Simon and Garfunkel's Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. She closed her eyes as the soundtrack began to play in her head and started taking a deep breath like she'd been taught when the voices in her head got too loud for her to bear. She immediately froze as a sharp stabbing sensation bloomed in her chest, taking a short breath in to test how extensive the damage was. She didn't feel it. Maybe she was imagining things. She was on such a strong dose of morphine, she was likely hallucinating. She sighed, then fire laced through her. Something was wrong. You are already on a very strong dose of morphine. We can't give you any more, the nurse said, her tone disapproving, when Amelia explained to her that her chest was hurting. I don't, what, it's not about the medicine, Amelia said exasperated, her voice as rough as a smoker with a -a 20-a-day habit. It hurts. Just press the button, it will give you another dose, the nurse said, already heading towards the door. Emilia shook her head, and despite the high dose she was on, pain wove its way through her. She froze as her head began to pound with that insidious rhythm. It both scared and calmed her, because she had heard stories about other people experiencing this pain. Most had experienced a stroke, others had died after experiencing this pain, because pain in the brain was a different ball game, a life changer, or really life ender. Why do they call things that could end your life a life changer? That never made any sense. I'll bleep the doctor, the nurse said. Amelia looked up as the pain ebbed. She pressed the button for more medication with reluctance as she waited, taking short little breaths through the deeper inhale just to feel the jabbing ache light, light up like fire in her chest. She wasn't imagining it. Almost two hours later, a doctor came to examine her. He was polite and she held still and tried not to wince or show any pain as he lightly pressed on her chest with cold clinical fingers. He waited with a look of studied professional calm as the nurse performed an ECG and the usual humiliation of taking off her bra so they could, as Jasmine put it, copper medical feel. They both looked at the results and glanced at her. Your ECG is clear and I don't hear any cackles, so we can rule out a chest infection. How's your pain score? Are you sure this isn't sickle cell pain? He asked, washing his hands. Amelia wanted to shrug. Speaking was still difficult. Just breathing in and out was the most her body wanted to do at present. Everything was exhausting and her entire body was numb and hurt as though she'd been to the gym. The post-workout aches. She had tried a high-energy aerobics workout once and the way her body felt the following day was akin to what she felt now, but a lot worse as her exercise still wasn't over. It doesn't feel like sickle cell pain. It only hurts when I breathe in, she said. The doctor looked thoughtful as he placed his stethoscope around his neck with care. I think an X ray and try not to take your oxygen mask off. Your. Sa- your. sats are low. And remember, Amelia, keep pressing the button. It's white right there. He turned to the nurse and they spoke quietly as they left the room. Amelia pressed the button to inject more morphine into her body. A few hours later and she was carted down to take an X ray and told to breathe in, which she did despite how much her body protested. She was brought back to her room by a porter she'd met on her previous admissions, who informed her that her friend Jasmine had recently been discharged, and soon it would be her turn to go home. Amelia tried to reassure him that she was on the mend, and he promised to bring her a cookie before he left. The doctor returned, stating that her x-ray was clear. The news wasn't music to Amelia's ears. If anything, it was bad news, and she wondered if maybe she was imagining the pain, or maybe it was sick or maybe her body was just shutting down for good. We can give you a higher dose, the doctor offered exasperated. I don't want a high dose, I want... The threat of tears was suddenly upon her, and she felt lightheaded. Press the button, Amelia, the nurse admonished, and she came over to put Amelia's oxygen mask back on her face. Amelia looked away, willing herself not to cry. She got her phone and messaged Ava. The doctor came over with a needle in hand. This is a top-up, he said. Amelia nodded, tears in her eyes, and she welcomed the darkness that swallowed her whole. Heated words were being exchanged. Amelia blinked, her mind still suspended between a dream and reality. More words swirling around her and anger, so much anger. She just wanted to sleep. You know that when she says there's a problem, there is a genuine problem, Ava's angry voice said, piercing Amelia's veil of drowsiness. Ava marched forward, followed by Dr. Gill, Amelia's new consultant. She missed Dr. Lewis, or Catherine, as she'd called her, who'd who'd known her since birth, but of course she'd aged up and could no longer be under the care of a paediatrician. She'd known Dr. Gill for only two months. He was a middle-aged man with sandy brown skin, dark wavy hair that he held in a leather band at the back of his head, which her grandmother had commented on, not so quietly when they'd first met. But Femi had vouched for him, and like magic, everyone had changed their tune. But Amelia had lamented getting to know another doctor as well, as she'd known Catherine. Just another reason to leave, the voice in her head whispered. The doctor she'd had earlier walked in and another doctor she'd seen a few times who had hair so fair it seemed almost translucent. Her nurse of the day who had her arms folded kept watched at the side of the bed. I don't want any more medication, Amelia said quickly, her breath coming out in short pants. She needed to stop removing her oxygen mask. Dr Gill's eyes travelled to the machine that had just beeped and Amelia put her oxygen mask back on as he walked over to examine her, the others watching his every move. We're going to have to put you on a CPAP, Amy, Dr. Jill said after he'd examined her. Amelia shook her head. That's fine, Ava said authoritatively. Amelia met Ava's gaze and nodded her compliance. I don't hear anything to suggest an infection, but an x-ray and maybe a CT scan? Dr. Jill said, taking her wrist and feeling for her pulse. We'll increase your fluids and administer paracetamol intravenously, just to be on the safe side. Your temperature is a little high. He wrote in her medical file and gave her arm a little squeeze before leaving with the others. I'm sorry I took so long to get here, Ava said, once the others had left. I was taking a test at the end of the end of year stuff. And I got your message. Damien is picking Andrew up from school. I came as soon as I got the message. I'm sorry. Don't apologize. It's not your fault. These doctors are so useless. Ava fumed. I wish Femi still worked here. It's like we can't get anything done without Doctor Gill being around. Honestly. Sorry about that. Amy, stop apologizing. "'Ava said sternly, tucking one of her long braids behind her hair. "'Tell me about this pain. Are you sure it isn't sick so, just a different type?' Amelia sighed and described the pain she had been feeling as they waited for the porter to take her down for another x-ray, which Dr. Gill confirmed was clear, but he still scheduled the CT scan for the morning. Damien and Ander walked in just as Dr. Gill was leaving. "'How's Femi?' Dr. Gill said, asked brightly. He's very well, he really likes his rotation, Damien said. They have a really good renal department over there, but I'm sure we can steal him back, Dr Gill said. If you believe that, Damien said, and Dr Gill laughed as he left. How are you doing, Amy? Ander asked. Good, Amelia said, tempting and smile. How was your school today? And sighed dramatically. It was so long. Can I play on the switch, please? Not until after you finished the homework you got from school, Ava said. Ander shared a mournful look with Amelia, who promised him a cookie her porter had left her if he completed his work. How are you? Damien asked, as Ava ushered Andrew away to a table to begin his work. Amelia nodded, but Damien didn't look like he believed her. What about this new pain? Probably sickle cell, Amelia said offhandedly. You don't believe that though, he pressed. Have you eaten? How's your pain? I thought Femi was the doctor, Amelia said almost smiling. Damien laughed. I got you a few books to read. I got you fresh clothes and some plain food to eat. Luke said as well, but you need to eat something substantial, Ava, Ava said at the same time. Thank you, and I'm sorry. Don't apologise, Ava said. Amelia nodded and just watched as Ander quietly did his work on the table. He was sat on a chair so big his short little legs were swinging several feet off the ground. Ava packed away numerous changes of clothes into the cabinet Amelia had been given, and Damien brought out a few books and her sketchbook. They were right. She shouldn't apologise because the words weren't enough. Chapter 4. The Diagnosis Three x-rays and two CT scans later, her consultant was finally able to tell her what was wrong. It's a PE, Dr. Gill said, his face serious, rolling up his sleeves to reveal a small tattoo on his upper forearm. It was a stiletto of a camera, a pulmonary embolism, a blood clot. You have two, one in each lung. Amelia nodded along with what he said. No music this time because her mind was empty, a vacant space where her thoughts usually went. You'll have to do this clinic every week to check your INR levels are stable. It was too much information for her numbed to process, and the full-face CPAP was doing a very good job at drowning out their voices. More pills, something called warfarin, and if that wasn't bad enough, she'd have to start injecting herself at home. So it's a pity she wasn't into drug dealing. The sort of supplies that they were set to give her would surely rival anything Ghost or Tommy ever had access to. Don't worry, the nurse will show you how to inject yourself. I know you're not squeamish. And the pain is nothing to you. I'm sure you won't even feel it, Dr. Gill said, smiling. Ava smiled encouragingly. It seemed like Damien was going to say something when her dad stuck his head around the door. Amelia burst into tears. How's my warrior? he asked, embracing her, and Amelia cried harder as her mum walked in and hugged her. She cried herself into an exhausted sleep, her dreams warped and disturbed. She woke to find her parents and her grandmother talking with Dr. Gill, their faces etched in concern. Ava was talking to Faye, Hamza and Damien. The guilt she felt at seeing all her friends and family was almost overwhelming, but her eyes smartened again and she couldn't stop the tears from falling. Mum turned and noticed and rushed over, fussing over her, looking at Dr. Gill to do something. How's the pain, Amy? Dr. Gill asked as they all descended on her. Amina shook her head, taking deep, painful breaths in, trying to will herself to stop crying. She could probably fill several saline bags with the amount of tears she'd said. She really didn't want Faye and Hamza witnessing this. They both hated hospitals, but had messaged saying how sorry they were that they hadn't been in school the day she'd had a crisis. Fine, everything is fine, Amelia said. It's not fine, Ava said angrily. If you're in pain, you should ha- you should say something, and they will believe you. She cast an angry glare at the doctor who had initially sent for an x-ray. Amelia shook her head, her face heating up, as she felt all their eyes on her. Her parents looking tired, having flown hours last night, probably having little to no sleep. Ava clutching her notes from a lecture she'd likely just come back from, and Damien, his gaze concerned. It was too much. She was too much. If she wasn't there, they could all lead their lives. Where was Ander? Who had dropped him off at school. So much on hold because of her, and she was still demanding more of their time. She pressed the medication button. That's good, Dr. Jill said incurringly. Try to stay on top of the pain. Don't just press when the pain is already unmanageable. It's why it's there. I know you hate using it, but that's how you get better. Mum patted Amelia's Amelia's arm gently, tears in her eyes. She's very strong, Dad said proudly. I know, Dr. Gill said, also proud. Amelia nodded as she swallowed the lump in her throat, trying to appear as strong as they thought she was. Thank you for listening, everyone. And of course, it's sickle cell September. Sickle cell is obviously very important to me. I will put links down to the blood fund. Melting Gamers is raising money for the blood fund, which supports sickle cell anemia. Please, please, please support that. Everyone knows how much sickle cell anemia means to me and things like that. We will be doing the twenty-four hour stream and the community stream on the Melanin Gamers Twitch, so please do check that out. If you want to know more, I will provide links for that. Thank you. It's good to be back as well, and I'm glad I'm back for a good cause too. As obviously, please check out my socials. I'm on creatively anzi on Twitter, creatively anzi on Instagram. See you all later. Bye and happy sickle cell September.